Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mind. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And good morning and welcome to the program. Of all the counties in Tennessee, Shelby County has the most licensed drivers as of 2016. Over 575,000 drivers to be exact. This is the highest number, and it's likely one of the most reasons why most of the automobile accidents occur. They've occurred and they continue to increase in the greater Memphis area. In fact, between 2012 and 2016, motor vehicle crashes increased more than 28% in Shelby County. Well, have you ever been in a car accident and just wasn't sure what to do? My guest today is David Pill of the Pill Law Firm, and he is help here to help us know what to do after. A car accident. In the second half of the program, Ted Miner is here to talk about retirement planning. Many people, think about this, are still not saving enough for their golden years. But we're getting better. The Investment Company Institute has published that the total net worth of Americans as of March the 31st of this year was one point, excuse me, $108.6 trillion. And of that amount, 29.1 trillion of 27% of the overall net worth is in retirement accounts. We're still behind when it comes to retirement savings, but we are doing better. And Ted Miner is going to share with us some common misconceptions about retirement. You do not want to miss that part of the program. From our Did You Know files, still thinking about buying a house? University of Michigan survey of consumers discovered this year that 70% of Americans they were surveyed in June of this year stated, now is a good time to buy a house. Well, I, I agree with them. If you're looking, now is a good time to to buy a house. This has been a volatile summer of the stock market. Most of us know that. And China continues to be in the news. But did you know that the U.S. Treasury Department labeled China as a currency manipulator? That's as of last Monday, last week. Now, the first time that the U.S. made such a claim against China was in 1994 when Mr. Bill Clinton was president 25 years ago. If you have questions for Talk Money, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. To find today's program on podcast or past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Coming up, David Pill of the Pill Law Firm. What do you need to know when you've had a car accident? The questions you do not want to miss. Ted Miner, misconceptions or myths about retirement. Stay with us. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. This is Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securing Financial Services are affiliated with David Peel or Peel Law Firm. The views and opinions expressed are those of David Peel only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securing Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. 
And welcome back. I am so excited about having this particular guest today. We're going to talk about something that if you live in Memphis or Shelby County, there's a pretty good likely chance, let's say, that you're going to be either involved or a witness to an automobile accident, and you need to know what are the things that you must do. I'm going to say there are must-do things, not just the things that maybe you should think about. There are must-do. So my guest, David Pill of the Pill Law Firm. David, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you for having me. You know, let me, let me talk about this. I know that there's nobody wants to be in an accident. We now have the new law of July the 1st where you can't text or use your cell phone, and that's a great thing. I, I still see a more, it seems to me it hasn't affected 90% of the drivers with tips, cell phones, they're still using them. But when a person does have this accident, you've talked about this before, that the first recommendation that you make is just to get safe. Now, when you say get safe, what do you actually mean to get safe? Well, believe it or not, there are injuries that happen after an accident from what we call a second accident. We see this with first responders, EMS, TDOT workers. They're actually, it's actually a very dangerous line of work, and the reason is is because they may still be in a traffic lane or people may be distracted by debris and people out in the road. So the first thing, if you can get out of any traffic or out of any source of uh, further danger, that's important to do, and a lot of people will just stand there and talk. Yeah, traffic buzzing by. Buzzing by, yeah. yeah. I found out last year I had a small accident, a little fender bender, three cars involved. I was the first car, then there was the middle car, and then there was the car that actually caused it. But you can actually move your wreck if there's no injury. It's called a minor accident, and this was a minor accident, no real injuries at all. Uh, a lot of emotions were going on at the time, and that's that was critical. But at the same time, I found out that TDOT, literally, that it's the law that you can Get off the road and clear it up because you're talking about this secondary accident that so often occurs. It's critical. It's critical. It's a great idea to take a quick shot or a video to show where everything was and then get on off if you can. I uh, was involved years ago in a 27-car pileup. And uh, I guarantee you this was caused by the first car and then everybody else looking you know, going through that process. So I understand that. Now, calling 911, talk about that, because I think everybody does that. It seems elementary to say that, but why should you specifically do that? Well, a lot of folks assume everyone else has, and and that's a reasonable assumption, but sometimes no one has. Or the person who's called has given information that's actually not an accurate statement of their location. After all, most of us aren't conscious of what mile marker we're on at any particular point. And so if you call, you can go ahead and start giving information. That's recorded, and that's public record later on that can be discovered. So it is very, very handy if the information is going ahead recorded and you get the right help for you. So you know that if you're capable, be the 911 caller. Tell them as best you can with the location. Always, you know, just making sure that you're taking, if you have the ability, take the initiative to do that. Now, you talk about check on the well-being of others. I mean, obviously, you're looking for people. I mean, the emotions, the the adrenaline is going through. Well, this the young lady that actually caused our accident, by the time I got back to her car, I mean, she, the adrenaline was all over her face. It was in the form of tears. She was just shocked. She was, I think, frightened. All the things are going from being in a car accident. That's important to know. So when you talk about checking on the well-being of others, explain that and just how, how sensitive should you be at this point? Well, you know, unless you have 
training, you probably can't render a whole lot of first aid, but there is some companionship and some compassion that can be extended to someone who is uh, scared or hurt. Um, Many times when I've seen an accident and I've pulled over, there's a panicking person because they think the car is on fire due to the smoke and the powder. That's from the airbags and the smell of the burnt shell casing that shoots it out. So I can assure them they're not going to burn alive, especially if they're trapped in the car. Right. Um, actually, car fires are rel- relatively rare, rare, except in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. They're all over the place there. So now let me say this. Now, if you just tuned in, my guest is David Pill of the Pill Law Firm. He's talking about things to do when you've had a car accident. We've talked about get safe, get off the road if you can. We've talked about the TDOT says it's a Tennessee law now. If it's a minor accident, you can move your car. Check with other, see if anybody else is possibly hurt, what the emotions are going on. Call 911. One, but you mentioned earlier, David, the photographs, and I mean, this is where our cell phones are are important. What do you talk about when you say photographs? Well, everybody's a photographer now because we're holding more photography power in our pocket than a professional photographer had in his pocket fifteen years ago in a big bag. And it's good to use it, not from a standpoint of being adversarial, but if you simply kick the video on and just get out and do a scan of the scene or just take some pictures. What will happen is you eliminate a whole lot of things that I've seen over the years. been doing this for more than 20 years. I've seen people leave the scene of an accident after they check on everybody. They can't be identified because nobody took a picture. If we have their tag number, I know who they are. I've seen people have a witness pull over who renders help and then leaves because they don't think they're needed anymore. They can be critical sometimes. Later on, all kinds of stories emerge. So it's very helpful to quickly do that. Let me, let's talk about that because yes, when you've had an accident, you're not thinking clearly. Exactly. That's the problem. So somebody comes by and literally says, Hey, I was, I was a, a witness. Right. What would you, what do you need from the witness? Well, preferably you want a name or a phone number. I've had a couple times where the entire argument about what happened in the case was settled by the fact that the witness had volunteered to call a neighbor or a friend or a husband on behalf. And because of that, we had their phone number and we could go back. And that's the only thing you had. And that's all we had. And nobody knew there was going to be a dispute at the time. I will tell you, stories change over time. We all know that from life. And I don't even mean necessarily that stories change because people are lying. People can be genuinely wrong, genuinely mistaken. It's so much help, so helpful if we have a witness who stops to help. Let's identify that person by tag number, by name, by phone number, something. You've talked about this before where people, I know, change stories or, as you said, emotions change stories or facts begin to come together. You've even talked about where the, the son maybe has had the car accident and he says, oh, I, I did it. This is what I did. And by the time he gets home, talks to dad, the story's not the same. How? Tell me how that goes through the process. You're the attorney. You're representing me. How do we How do we work through that in that scenario of, of the story changes from the time of the accident to the time he gets home and back? Right. And unfortunately, you learn that by getting a denial from the insurance company from the other side saying that they see no liability mm-hmm. for themselves when you thought it was clear cut and thought everything was going to be fine. And you're flabbergasted. You contact me. I get involved. I start interviewing people and have my investigative team interview people. And we find out that 
uh, yeah, the 18-year-old took full responsibility on the scene until dad was on the phone with him and said, no, it's not your fault. We'd, you know, we'll take care of we'll it. We'll take care of it. And it's so much easier if there can be a disinterested witness who doesn't have a dog in the fight, so to speak, that we can record. Or if if you were you know, videoing or whatever, and he's coming up, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't see you. I just pulled over in front of you. Okay, case closed. So that we can move on to the more important part of the case, which is getting you better. Mm, that's a good point. Welcome to the studio, Ted Miner. You've got a question for David. Uh, thank you for being here, too, by the way. Good morning, Jim. I've been dreaming all night about this show, so <laughs> excited to be here. Uh, David, I had an experience. I was up in Nashville, Tennessee. I was in a parking lot, private parking lot, uh, Panera Bread parking lot. And, uh, of course, the police won't come out and write a report on something like that. And I was I was just sitting behind a guy, and he just all of a sudden decides to leave his parking place and without looking at anything behind him and, and hits me. Now, I was. I did get out, and thank goodness I sat down and I took videos of where the cars were and even got a video of him as he handed me all the information that he needed to hand me. He was very willing and very polite. And, mm-hmm. you know, I thought, well, this is not going to be an issue. Sure. But, you know, and, and he gave me the insurance company. I called the insurance company, but the insurance company could never get him to respond to them. So I ended up putting it in the hands of my insurance company. And because of my video, if it wasn't for my video, I'd just been out of luck. Well, that's right. Because if you don't cooperate with your insurance, you invalidate your insurance. So in your case, you had to use your uninsured motorist, which doesn't count against you in any way, but you had to use that. And they didn't have any issue with whose fault it was because you had it nailed. And that's the thing. Things change from the moment of an adrenaline-producing accident until later on. You know, guys, we talk about that. Now, let me, let me back this up. You, you've had the accident, and you may be the person that's actually caused it, but maybe something else may have. How do you, you witnesses getting all this information, now you're not thinking right. I mean, you know, if somebody's injured, you're thinking about the injury. You're trying to get that person to the emergency room. You've got all this stuff going on. What's the police's responsibility? Now, Ted, in your con- you know, to when you're talking about private parking lot, no police. But let's suppose it's on Highway 64 or Poplar Avenue. How? Do- what's the police? What's their responsibility in getting uh, witnesses? David? Well, the the belief among most motorists is that the police will take down carefully all the witness statements, get them to sign something, make sure they have their identifying information. The police are taxed. They have a hard job. And what you'll find is that sometimes, like any of us, if they see it's a clear case, they may not get the witness information or even more likely the witness, once he sees that he or she sees that everything's being handled, they've got other things to do. They were on their way somewhere when it happened and they've helped out, which is great. They may not want to get involved. And so you can't really rely upon the police to do a, an investigation this, with the same passion that you would. Their job is to determine whether or not there was a traffic infraction and assign that. They don't actually decide fault, although their report is often used to by insurance companies. It's not admissible in court uh, in a civil case. So the scenario becomes you really have to take that responsibility. But because people are so staggered after an accident, I actually have a little thing that I put on people's phones that are my clients that tell them, remind them what their steps are. And it's these seven steps. So they don't have to think if they can find their phone, they can go back through it. And I have it on the back of all my business cards. Well, let me, let me, let me repeat this then from, from accident steps. So what you're talking about, get safe, call 911, photo cars, 
photo drivers in the scenes. I know that. I like that. Get witnesses' phone numbers and go to the ER. Right. To what, what's the purpose of the ER? Why is it? I mean, I don't feel like I need to go there. I'm okay. Uh, right. Now, honestly, I know that from a medical standpoint, a lot of people are just flushed with adrenaline right. all the, and no pain because everything's taking care of their bodies, resilient, but there may be pain. I interviewed a lady last night who at the accident scene was saying, you know, my knee hurts. And she didn't know that she had multiple fractures in her leg. It is so strange that we would advise our loved ones about self-diagnosis and taking care of your own injuries if they fell off a ladder at home. But when they're in a car accident, we kind of assume that if they feel okay, well, then don't do anything. It's the worst time to do self-diagnosis. I would say in general, if anything is tight, that's going to be pain in the future, in the, probably the near future. And it can mask, I've seen it mask fractures of the vertebrae, tib-fib fractures, tib-plateau tib fractures. I mean, you name it. Um, unless you break a femur or something that keep, keeps you from even moving, you know, it's it's hard to say that you're not hurt. So is this the ambulance taking you to the ER or can you have someone drive you to the ER? In other words, what you're saying, I mean, does it, I guess I'm asking, is it necessary to just get to the ER by whatever means or is it really that important to go by the way of an ambulance? Uh, the well, the ambulance would be helpful in the event there's potentially internal injuries. Um, airbags are designed to help you uh, as are seat belts, but they can also break ribs and puncture lungs, and you can have those kinds of things. If it's that extreme, I would say definitely take the ambulance. If you decline EMS transport, they'll note that, and you might be able to get to the ER just about as fast, but the problem is you won't be taken back right away. At the ER, so you get to go spend seven hours sitting See? out there with your headache, and by the time you get seen, you might be hurting. Now, I want to stress: I'm not saying go to the ER if you know you're not hurt. There are fender benders, and nobody needs that. But if there is a concern, there's a reason that concerns there. I believe God's given us that wisdom, and uh, and so sometimes we're not thinking that clearly. I really want to encourage people to encourage those who might be hurt. Go get some help. If you just tuned in, my guest is David Pill of the Pill Law Firm. We're talking about things to do if you've had a car accident. And as I said earlier, when we were talking about it in the monologue, we happen to have, uh, you know, 575,000 drivers. <laughs> the next highest to us is Davidson County with 448,000. We are a driving county. That's right. Tons of people here. And therefore, as a result, car accidents are on the increase in 2016, up 28. I couldn't find anything from a statistical standpoint of what it was last year, but reality is Shelby County is known, well, let's just put it this way, Poplar County, I mean Poplar, Poplar Avenue <laughs> is known for its car accidents, and we look at them and we think fender bender, but I was driving down Germantown uh, Parkway, oh, this is, I have a picture of it, about uh, three or four weeks ago, and there's a car upside down. Mm-hmm. And on Germantown, I'm thinking that had to have been somebody was doing much greater speed than necessary <laughs> to turn a car completely up down, upside down. So, David, what you're saying, we have bad accidents that doesn't have to be on the freeway I-40 or I-55. It can happen on Poplar, you know, Germantown Parkway, any of these streets that we have. Well, I mean, that's correct. If you see a bad, let's say a bad hit in football, I can assure you that's less than 30 miles an hour. And 
the the scenario becomes it doesn't take that much. Plus, all of us are walking around with our own um, pre-existing conditions, and some of us have a little bit more of an eggshell condition than others. Sometimes people have degenerative back disease, and they're kind of doing okay until that impact. And then it kind of sets in motion what we call a cascade of effects. It's well-known medically, and uh, it, it's it's strange how clearly the demarcation is sometimes. Like I have a client who had a problem with his back, but he could play golf. Then he has an accident, no golf, mm. can't swing the club. That's a big difference in his enjoyment of his life, which is a part of this. And uh, but he, you know, he wasn't paralyzed. He could walk, but he was hurting. It changed. It changed everything. It changed everything. Let me him. ask you this real quick, because I know there's that emotional side. Mm-hmm. Everybody's out there to help each other. Then there's the other, you know, emotion that goes on. That anger, where ah, you hit me, you caused this. Mm-hmm. I'm. What about t- you know, if I'm taking someone's picture, let's just say that you, you've run into me and I'm out there trying to get everybody's picture and I'm walking <laughs> around and I'm okay, and you don't like me taking your picture, am I in jeopardy there? What should I do? Well, you're not in any, there's nothing legal that's a problem. You're in public, so your picture is not private. Um, but if you need to retreat to your car and lock it, the Tennessee law does consider your car your castle, so you right. can defend yourself so if defend necessary. <laughs> with my with my video and my phone and taking pictures, but just because that does happen, I know it happens, sure. and I've seen it where people are just because that's a lot of emotions. Right. If you just tuned in, we've been interviewing David Peel of the Peel Law Firm. You can reach David if you'd like to call David four nine five two five two four. Four nine five two five two four. Things to do after a an accident. The bottom line is a car accident, and I want to make sure I repeat those real quick. Number one, get safe. That's more important than you can imagine. Call nine one one. Photo the cars. Photo the drivers and the scene. Get witnesses. You know, phone numbers, make sure you're finding as many as you can, and go to the ER. You just don't know. You may have to look at some things. Don't say, oh, I'm doing fine, because about four or five hours later, you may not be. Amen. David, thanks so much, man. It's always a pleasure to have you. These are critical for us to know because we have more drivers in Shelby County than any place in the state of Tennessee. Be safe. School started back. If you need to talk to David, that telephone number, 495 25 24-495-2524. Thanks, David. We'll have you on again, okay? Thank you. I appreciate Thank you, it. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. We'll be back in just a second. We're going to be talking with Ted Miner. Misconceptions about retirement planning. The myths that you do not want to miss. Stay with us. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Jim Shoemaker and Ted Miner are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. And now, now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. My guest is Ted Miner. We're talking about myths or misconceptions you might think of about retirement. Now, I told you earlier that we're doing better with our retirement planning. About 27% of our net worth is in our retirement plans. That's up. 
And we're being a little more conscious about it. We're still behind. We're not where we need to be. And I want to talk about some of the reasons why I think that we're not. And Ted's here to talk about that. He's going to walk us through this whole process of, of just understanding things that we kind of throw out there, but we need to make sure that they're, they're, we're understanding what we're doing. They're misconceptions or they're myths. And the first one, I think, is critical. Ted, I think so many people think this that they're going to not live long after retirement. They're going to say, I don't need a plan out there, but I'll die before I'm 90. That's a myth. Boy, it, it, it really is, Jim. And, you know, it's one of those things that when you're sitting down and you're doing that 25 or 30 years, which may be realistic when people start retiring at 60, and they start looking and says, well, I'm not worried. I'm not worried about after 90. I'm not going to be around after 90. And you look at the statistics, and, you know, the statistics are pretty daunting, that 25% of the men that are 65 years old are going to live to age 93 or better. And then when you start adding in the effect of when there's a couple involved, now you get statistics of over 50% when one of them are going to live over 94. And you've got to plan for you've that. You've got to plan for that. You just can't take that as something, well, it's not going to be me or it's not going to be my wife. When I started in the business 40-some-odd years ago, the reality was if a person got to 65, all I had to do was plan to leave was 72, 73, 74, done. That was nothing. You're right. It's much, much, much longer today. You know, I don't have the statistics, but people could Google this. Google how many people are over 100 today, mm. and then Google how many people were over 100 15 years ago. It's a huge difference in the number of people that are getting over 100. We just had a woman at our church walking, and just like anyone else, you'd think she was maybe 80 years old. 105 years old, celebrated her 105th birthday. Wow. that's uh, And that's something that is we, we have to get in our head. Bottom line, we it's a misconception to think you're not going to live to 90. You have a greater chance to live to 90 than you had, say, 20 years ago. And the big problem, the problem of believing that is that you don't plan for your resources to last long enough. That's good. And that's that's the problem with that's it. That's a great point. Something that everybody needs to think about. So misconception number one is that you'll die before you're 90. We put that aside, say, hey, don't think about that. Number two, though, and I think this is <laughs> this is a lot of my generation. I know our generation. I'll keep working and I'll never retire. Well, the, the statistics just don't bear that out. And I understand good planning. And when you're sitting down with people, I, I tell them when we start planning, let's not get ourselves boxed into a corner. You want to remain flexible because things just happen. And when you look at statistics, you find out that 70% of workers expect to work in retirement, but only 16%, that's a big number, 70% think they will, but only 16% actually do it. And that's an income stream. And over half of the retirees retire earlier than what they plan on retiring. And there are certain things today that, that occur that didn't hurry, happen years ago. One of the big ones, uh, when you read, I don't have the statistics on this, but I remember teaching a course and it stood out, was the number of people that have to retire to help their parents. Yeah, that's a big issue. That's yeah. there's a lot of people in that sandwich generation that are taking right. care of their parents mm -hmm. and kids. And it's just a tough time. I know some of the statistics you're talking about is coming from a retirement confidence survey, a worker worker confidence stable, the whole the whole idea behind that. And that was written by uh, Greenwald and Associates. And I appreciate that because I appreciate you doing the research. You do teach a lot about retirement. 
you're in our financial literacy group and you do that. And I know you're, you're loaded with that, with that knowledge of what the, what other people, not just what Ted might are saying, but what other people are saying about this particular problem that not only living too long, but the idea is that, well, you know, I, I won't, I won't uh, quit work. I'll keep working. You know, Jim, you and I talked about coming in this morning. We talked about myths, you know, where they come from and everything. And I, I frequent the, uh, the local McDonald's down there in Germantown. Yeah, right. And this. I find it, I find it entertaining sometimes to just kind of sit over in the corner and just listen to the conversations that are going on. And, you know, it's, it's of interest to me because of what I do, but their perceptions, what they read, what they think in many cases is going to happen. And these are guys offering advice to the other guys in a group. And sometimes that advice is just not it's quite. It's just not quite right. <laughs> I hear you. It's the McDonald's advice That's you know, right. or wherever they're eating breakfast. I, I do the same thing at a restaurant out close to Lakeland. I know what you're talking about. Annuities are bad investments. Now, we have just a few seconds here, a few minutes, but, but bottom line is that's a myth. That's a misconception. A lot of people preach that and hammer that, but you've got to I like the way you're looking at this. Talk about that for a second. Well, annuities are a tool, and uh, it's any. It, I don't know how many times, uh, you know, if you're in your house and you've got something that goes wrong, you know, I, instead of walking out to my workshop where I can pick any tool that I want to want to pick, I end up going to my drawer and I find a, a screwdriver when I really and turn it around and use it as a hammer. <laughs> Doesn't work quite as well. Well, an annuity is a tool, and it's very versatile. It's a complicated financial instrument. And you need to make sure that if you've got an annuity that you that, uh, that you own or you're planning, uh, planning on buying, that you address your specific needs and fully understand the implications and how it is going to benefit you personally. Uh, I know that most annuities have the option of turning on an income stream. When you look at when you look at people that have an income stream or a pot of money. Most people that have income streams are much more comfortable in retirement knowing that that income stream is going to last as long as they live. So really, from a standpoint of annuities, they do offer a lot of comfort. And this, these uh, LIMRA actually made a comment there that, that uh, 70% of retire, uh, retirees that own annuities are more comfortable uh, than uh, 57% of retire, uh, retirees who don't have annuities. And LIMRA is Life Insurance Marketing Research Re- Association. And that tells why they, they've got they all this do data. a lot of research mm-hmm. for a lot of people from that particular perspective. Mm-hmm. That's a great thought. We'll come back in just a second talk a little bit more about that. I want to talk about this conservative portfolio. Is it appropriate for retirement, because we've been taught you invest a lot in stock market as you're growing, and as you get older, you convert all over to bonds. You're going to talk about, is it, do you continue that? Is that a myth, or how do we manage that? And I like what you're going to be talking about. If you just tuned in, my guest is Ted Miner. You can reach him at 757-5757. He's with Shoemaker Financial. He's talking about those common misconceptions about retirement. Stay with us. We'll be back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. It was said of Memphis philanthropist Robert Church that his word is as good as his bond. He was an incredible success story made all the more remarkable by his having been born a slave. During the race riot of 1866, Church was shot in his saloon and left for dead but he recovered and resolved to remain in Memphis. 
Church used his own money to build the public park and auditorium on Bill Street, which became a major center of Memphis civic and cultural life. W.C. Handy was employed there for a time, and President Theodore Roosevelt visited the park in 1902. In 1906, Church founded the first African-American-owned bank in Memphis, and during the panic the next year, he avoided a run on his bank by placing bags of money in its windows. Throughout his years in Memphis, Church was the most active philanthropist in the city, saving church property from being seized and purchasing the first bonds issued by the city after it declared bankruptcy. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. An annuity is intended to be a long-term, tax-deferred retirement vehicle. Earnings are taxable as ordinary income when distributed, and if withdrawn before age 59 and a half, may be subject to a 10% federal tax penalty. If the annuity will fund an IRA or other tax-qualified plan, the tax deferral feature offers no additional value. Qualified distributions from a Roth IRA are generally excluded from gross income, but tax and penalties may apply to non-qualified distributions. Please consult a tax advisor for specific information. There are charges and expenses associated with annuities, such as deferred sales charges for early withdrawals. The rule of 72 is a hypothetical example using a sustained hypothetical rate of return to illustrate the concept of how compound interest or rates of return can work for you. There are no guarantees that any investment will be able to sustain the same rate of return year after year, and thus no guarantee that your money will double in a stated period of time. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. All right. Well, we're talking about so much information. Our conversation today is about misconceptions or, or myths about retirement. Now, Ted's talked about the fact that we're going to, you know, some people think that that's not going to live that long, but we've kind of put that aside. He's got statistics that says, you know, basically, if there's two couples, if there's two people at 65, the chances of somebody living over 90, even the 95 is, I think you said 25%. For a couple, one of them is 50%. 50%. So that's a big deal. People have to think about that. People are saying that they're not going to retire. In reality, they are. It could be from health reasons or whatever. But the point is, he talked about annuity. And Ted, before I go to the conservative portfolio, let me ask you this. A lot of people say this. I have heard this over and over again. If I die tomorrow, the insurance companies can keep all my money. And, you know, if I put it into an annuity, what's that about? Well, there, there's a couple of very popular things that are annuities. You know, Social Security is an annuity. Uh, pensions are annuities. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of things that are called annuities. And annuities that, that may be sold as a product in the market, many times when you turn on an income stream or even as a pension, you have options in terms of how you want to take that annuity. How you choose those options impact your income. If you're going to have it over one life or two lives, it's going to affect the amount of money the insurance company is going to pay you. And they base everything on, on mortality tables. They they look at Jim Shoemaker and say, hey, you've got another good 20 years, and they're going to base their payment on that number of, of years. Uh, if you've got your wife involved with that, if Linda's involved with that, then they're going to lower the payment because they got two lives. We talked about the statistics on a long life. Right. So so when you, you can, when you take options on some annuities, select a payment that has no death benefit that's associated with it. And that will increase the amount of income you'll receive during your life. That's a choice that you can make. And if you live a long life, it's a big deal. You come out ahead. You actually come out ahead. If you die two days after you check this. You get by a car, it goes to the insurance company. But, But the insurance company, understand, the insurance company has got... A thousand people just like that. And some of them are going to live beyond that number. Some of them are going to live before that number. But I would say that uh, that really it comes down to looking at your options when you 
are taking your income streams because there's a lot of options. Pensions have some pensions have as many as eight options that right. you can choose for that income. So stream. just be sure that you know what you're doing. That's Don't right. just buy because somebody's selling it to you. Do your research, get some advice, and, and make sure that you understand it. If you don't understand it, most of the time you should back away from it. Yeah, and most, I would say probably most insurance, most annuities taken today, they are taken with a death benefit of the amount of money that's left that goes to a beneficiary. Okay, well, that's something for everybody to take into consideration. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about this conservative portfolio. Sometimes people have got all their money tied up, they've been working for this, and they're going through this many, many multiple years now that they've got to think about, and they can't go too conservative because it may not be able to keep up with inflation. What do you tell people? I mean, you got to manage this, and it's hard to take risk when I'm 80. You know, just this last week, I spent some time with my dad, who's 88 years old, and uh, everybody has their, their 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 great story they like to tell. And dad, uh, he was talking about the fact that it only cost him a quarter for lunch when he went to school. Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, a nickel for lunch when he was at school, and uh, and I I I, I kind of laugh at that. And he was talking about how much money he made and all that. And the reason there's a difference is because of this thing we call inflation, right? And when we do a financial plan, of course, you know we get that spreadsheet and we start off with, let's say, a person has a hundred thousand dollars they need today, and you look down there at the bottom, and all of a sudden you see they need two hundred fifty thousand dollars to be able thirty to, years yeah, from now to be able to just buy the goods and services that they're buying today. Exactly. So a lot of times this uh, conservative portfolio, if you're not careful and you get yourself too conservative and you don't beat inflation, then again, you run into the possibility of running out of money uh, before your life uh, ends. And you you don't want to get too conservative because that, that issue could happen. Now, you can sit there and look and see how much money a person has, and you can you can make some some uh, uh, some calculations to see about what they need out of that portfolio and how to adjust it to try to get the income they need to last that period of time. You, we talked about it at the break, and actually we run the spot. Greg did a good job of that, about the rule of 72. And you talk about that with your clients. You actually help them understand that that's a calculation, a mathematical calculation that they need to be sensitive to. Explain just quickly the rule of 72. Well, if, if you look at, if you look at uh, you're going to live 25 or 30 years in retirement, that'd be <clears throat> That'd be a person retiring at 60, going to 85, which would be – and that's that's average, that's, by the yeah, way. Yeah, that's very There's normal. A lot of people live much longer than that. Well, the rules of 72 basically would tell you if inflation is 3%. Now, the last 30, 30 years we've been under that, but actually inflation has been more than that for history. But 3% have infl- 3% inflation, then in 24 years, everything is going to double. So – the, the the $10 lunches are $20 lunches. The $25 dinners are $50 dinners. So so over the course of a person's retirement, normal retirement process, and that's assuming we don't get spikes like we did in 1980. We don't know. But if we averaged 3% for 24 years, then everything doubles. So just keeping that in mind as you're planning, as you're sharing with someone, I've heard about this 4% rule where if I just can live on 4% where I think about it, and people say, is this a myth that I can safely withdraw 4% of my assets and not run out of money? Is that is that okay? Can I do that with what you just got through saying? Well, for, for, you know, we can't say anything safe. No, we, don't, we don't know but, that. But any, I've heard that. The Well, and, and I tell you, that comes from a study that – Benjamin did back in 1994. William Benjamin. William, no, he, you're right. He did, he, and he based all that on historical data. Now, we can't assume that there won't be something that happens in the future 
that that has not happened in the past. So you have to be careful with that rule. But that rule is what he did is he took a study over 30 year periods of time and said, okay, how what how how much do I have to have that I can take out of my retirement account? And it will never go to zero. Well, based on all the historical data, four percent worked for him. Does that mean that it will automatically work in the future all the time? No, because he made some assumptions when he did that. But 4% would be a good place to start. One of the things that we learn if we enter into retirement with flexibility, otherwise the ability when the market doesn't do well, maybe we don't go on the vacation that we did every year. Maybe we don't buy the new car that was that we were going to buy that year. But if we're able to lower our expenses at a time when the market doesn't do as well, then, then we can a lot of times have more than 4% we're taking out. Uh, but we have to be, have the ability to lower that or stop taking those inflationary adjustments to, uh, uh, to increase just because next year uh, is another year. So we have to be flexible in so retirement. Flexibility is critical. Absolutely. Keeping 4% is kind of a, of a benchmark, not a guarantee, as we're saying. That's right. And it's good to be flexible with what you're talking about. That's right. But there's been periods of time. I mean, he did it. Again, he was trying to find the number that worked for every period of time and 4% work. There are periods of time where a lot more of that worked, but he was cutting it close on a few years That's at 4%. Years. That's great. When we come back, I want to literally dive in. Everybody talks about Social Security and retirement. I know you do a lot of counseling with Social Security as a financial literacy team and i want to just dive into that let everybody get an understanding if you just tuned in i'm talking with ted minor of shoemaker financial we're talking about misconceptions about retirement he's given us some insight we've talked about you're not gonna you know you people say well i'll never retire well guess what there's statistics that says you do you're gonna live to be 90 or longer and if you're a couple that's healthy at 65 you could go one of you 50 percent of you 50 percent chance that you're one of you may go past 95 so stay with us. When we come back, we're going to talk about Social Security benefits and starting at age 50, excuse me, 62. You don't want to miss this. This is good stuff. Stay with us. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. Investments will fluctuate and were redeemed to be worth more or less than when originally invested. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, I'm talking with Ted Miner today. We're talking about misconceptions about retirement. We've gone everything from the reality of living too long and you just didn't plan for that. We talked about the 4% rule that kind of says, you know, if you can just be flexible in your retirement and just making 4% and pulling 4% out, that's pretty good. You can last a long time. But there's so many other things, and I hope that you've paid attention. hope you've written some of it down, but if you'd like to talk with Ted, give him a call at 757-5757. It's basically just finding out these misconceptions can keep you from making wise decisions when it comes to your retirement planning. Ted, Speaking of wise decisions, I know that the American College says the number one mistake that people make is taking Social Security too early. You talk about that a lot when you're teaching classes and things like that. Talk about that for us. Uh, and it, and it's and it's usually a huge regret. It happens a lot with with women in the marketplace. But uh, but uh, um, I tell you, it's uh, there's a lot of people when you talk to them, they 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 come to the office a lot of time with this conception that, hey, I can get it at 62, and I'm thinking about retiring. I'm going to go ahead and start taking uh, Social Security. 
uh, and I'm not saying that there may not be circumstances involved where there 62 that may that may be wild. But uh, as you mentioned, what the uh, uh, that the number one mistake is is that. And uh, here's some things that people need to think about. First of all, the difference between taking it at 62 versus 70 is 76 percent. So, if your benefit's a thousand dollars a month and you can wait till 70, it's 1,700 and $60 a month. That's a huge difference. And when we don't know, you know, Jim, I tell people that I could be the best financial planner in the world if I knew one thing. If I just knew when people were going to die. <laughs> yeah. If I knew when people were going to die. I knew where I, you were headed with that. I could be really, I could be number one, I believe. I really do. But uh, the, uh, the, the, when you're in retirement and you don't know how long you're going to live, building that income stream and looking at Social Security is important. And there's two other things about Social Security that's really important. Number one, Social Security is tied to a COLA, cost of living adjustment. So it goes up oh, with inflation. Uh, this year, last year, they had uh, 2%, 2.8%, I believe it was. Is that right, this year? Right. Don't you get it? Yeah, you know? yeah I do. I do. Thank uh, you so, very much. And the other thing is Social Security is not fully taxed. So those are two things that would tell that a Social Security dollar is better than a dollar from another income source. So we need to try to get that right. And if you're going to live over 81, then you're going to extract more money from the Social from Social Security Administration by taking your benefit at 70 than you would if you took it any time earlier. So you, by almost a universal discussion, you would say be careful. There are circumstances, but be careful taking Social Security too early. And I would and I would say that the exceptions, more than not, are people that have more money can take it earlier. All right, let me ask you this, because you do this every day. I need you to summarize these misconceptions in less than a minute. Well, I, okay, I would I would say that uh, be careful where your sources are for the things that you hear. And when you hear somebody say something that may sound a little bit foreign or sound maybe not true or that, uh, you know, that you're, you question whether or not it's right or not, Either get online and read, find a good source. I would encourage people who can to work with a financial advisor. I spend my time trying to trying to understand the best strategies, the best laws, the best things that a person needs to do in retirement. And, uh, you know, to find a professional that can help you through this maze. And it's a huge maze when you start thinking about retirement. And most people don't spend as much time in retirement as they do on a good vacation. Yeah, that's a great point. You, you spend a lot of time planning for the vacation, and yet Social Security and all this other stuff just happens. So, therefore, my retirement plan will just happen. That's right. And you know that's not the case. You've done a great job. And I so much appreciate you being here today. Thank you, sir, for being with us. Thank you, Jim. Well, you've been listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. My guest, David Pill of the Pill Law Firm and Ted Miner of Shoemaker Financial. If you'd like to talk with either one of them, Ted Miner or David Pill, David Pill's telephone number, 901-496-2524. You can go online to thepilllawfirm.com, look him up, be sure to give him a call, or talk to Ted, 757-5757. We hope that you've enjoyed the program today. As always, thanks so much for listening. If you have questions for Talk Money, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com to find today's program or go on podcast and look for past programs, and that will give you a chance the iTunes store for Shoemaker Financial. Be sure to like us on Facebook. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Thanks for listening. This is Talk Money. 
Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker and Ted Miner are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Shoemaker Financial.